Pastor Drew, we finally got to our first parable in our parable series. Uh, yes. The wheat and the tares. And, and so the wheat and uh, uh, um, and the weeds grow up together in the field, a picture mm-hmm. of the world as it is now. As we wait his second coming, there's uh, good and evil kind of simultaneously coexisting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it brings up a, an important question that, that many people have asked and have still. Why does God permit evil? How does the parable of the wheat and tares answer that question for us? Um, I don't know if it necessarily answers that question. Or what light does it shed? Right, the maybe light. That's something. maybe a better way to put it. Um, obviously, um, for believers... When you come at it from a Christian perspective, um, we understand that God knows best and that God has seen fit to allow the sons of or the sons and daughters of light and the sons and daughters of darkness to uh, to to grow up together, and that the final separation or division of those is going to happen at the end of time. And um you know the the focus for the disciples based on that teaching and and obviously other teaching teachings of Jesus is that you know um, you're going to have to live with this you're going to have to work through this but you know you need to remain on task the task of proclaiming the gospel the task of proclaiming Jesus as the answer to um, to whatever issues we have in the world and so that leaves us to speculate somewhat, but I think on good grounds because of uh, particularly some of the things that Paul says in his letters that I think the potential advantage for God choosing to allow good and evil people to grow up together is so that um, the good people um, are stronger more faithful um, have have been built up because of that adversity. It's a way that God prepares us for eternal life with Him. Yeah, one of the main points from the parable is that you know why are the why are the weeds allowed to persist mm-hmm. so that all of the wheat makes it to maturity, right? And some of the implications like like don't pull it up so that you don't pull up the mm-hmm. wheat with it. Uh, you know, one implication that I always find compelling and, and kind of powerful is, what, you know, answering that question: Why does God permit evil? Uh, because He loves me so much, <laughs> which is weird. But but He could have been done at the ascension. That could have been it, right? Right. Um, well, not, I mean, <coughs> I guess there's some prophecies about a, a second coming. So He could have came right back. Yeah. Right. So why does He permit evil for two thousand years? Because I am a wheat that he wanted to reach maturity. Mm-hmm. And so he persists with evil because he loves me so much. Yeah. He loves his chosen so much. The other, do you have a comment there? Well, you know, there's a, I mean, you could go in a, in a philosophical direction as well. And this is a question that, uh, that I've, I've thought about. Um, you know, why did we fall into sin originally? Because God gave us the gift of free will. 
um, the optimal world that he could create included people who could freely give their love to him. So they're not created robots, but they have free will. And that can, in through that, God wanted to have a true relationship with human beings. What changes? <laughs> I mean, what changes when we get to heaven? When we get to heaven, is it that we're not going to have a free will? I would argue, no, we will still have a free will. But um, what is going to prevent us from rebelling against God ever again is the exposure that we have had to evil in this world, sin and evil and wickedness. And so that when we do reach glory, we're going to look at that and we're going to think, why would anyone ever choose that again? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking of during the sermon was a connection to um, the other parable of the sower, which is really Mm -hmm. similar. And, and just was thinking, you know, you hear of the, the seed sown on the rocky soil and it, you know, it, it doesn't have deep enough roots, so the first, the first challenge sweeps it away. And the other is seed sown among the weeds. Mm-hmm. And it has nice roots, but eventually it's choked out. Um, but if you kind of compile these parables, and maybe that's not right to do, but you just wonder, and in, in, in our congregation, maybe I see it most as, as parents um, pray for for children, prodigal children, or, or children who have taken their faith faith less and less serious, right? They say, "I gave them deep roots, right? We we raised them in Christian home and, and and church and school, and here they are now among the weeds." But the hope of the parable of the wheat and tares is uh, there is wheat that grows up among the weeds mm-hmm. that God is patient with and reaches maturity. And he's not going to just yank it up because it's among the weeds. Yeah. And um, actually, a lot of commentators that I read in preparation for the sermon, um, and I, I, don't, I don't agree with this wholeheartedly, but they um, wanted to very much emphasize that the field in this parable is the church, not the world. Mm. That it's focused on the church, not the world, even though the parable itself says that uh, the field is the world. And so, you know, because it's a kingdom parable, some commentators seem to think, well, the kingdom on earth um, presently, as God has established it, is the church. And I don't like to go so narrow myself. Hmm. But uh, it definitely applies to the church. There is good and evil. There's a a visible and invisible church. I just think that's limiting the parable somewhat. Interesting. So that's curious that the, the text would explicitly <coughs> acknowledge that the field is the world, yeah. and yet they, they would say the Christian world or the church world. Yeah. Hmm. The other thing I, I thought of when the sermon was going on is how nice it would be to go on about um, uh, uh, Augustine's city of God, city of man and city of God competing, but I can't get through it however many times yeah, I try, so right. I can't leave a comment about Augustine. Right. I, you know, um, the most striking thing about the parable, and I didn't, I didn't really necessarily get to touch on it as much as I would have had I had more time. But um, I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful gift of grace that God chooses not to pull up the tares before the right time. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's it's a gift of grace. It's a it's a representation of his patience and his mercy that um, that he kind of endures evil until the optimal time for the most people to be saved, and that's grace. Yeah. On the other hand, it's like the Canaanites. Right, until they've filled up the amount of wickedness that, right. you know. Um, but yeah, the other the other thing, and and this is, you know, more of a more of a downside, but also more of a, a spur to Christians for evangelism is, you know, the reality of this day when the sons of God and the sons of the evil one are going to be separated. And how God has seen fit to include us in building up the wheat and building up the the sons of God and and advancing the kingdom and proclaiming the gospel, man, you just there's an urgency to that when you hear a parable like that coming from the lips of Jesus Himself. Yeah, yeah. The the other thing I find compelling in this whole conversation, just about evil in the world and and. God's sovereignty over it to be good and Calvinist here at the end. Um, Dr. Frank Turek goes around to different colleges and he fields questions and he's got this big slideshow. So, you know, people ask the same dozen questions. Sure. You know? And so he's got these slides kind of re- at the ready to mm-hmm. answer them. And he, he, he's commented, and I've shared this in a sermon before, that he always gets these two and they're they're really ironic. The one is, why does God order the destruction of... Uh, these these peoples, these evil peoples in the Old Testament, and then the other one is if he's good, why would why would he allow um, um, the Second World War, Nazism, mm-hmm. to be such an atrocity? And he says, on the one hand, you're mad that he destroys the evildoer, and on the other hand, you're mad that he doesn't destroy the evildoer. Yep. And so ultimately, you say, God is patient, desiring that none of the elect will. Perish. Will perish. Mm-hmm. That's the answer. Straight from straight from the word. Yeah. God is sovereign and, and he has decided how he'll deal with evil.